I always find myself wanting to say something to people every time I preach, every time I speak, that if I never saw you again as long as we live, I would at least have left this deposit with you because this is truly my assignment from Christ at these, this time in my life after 43 years of being in ministry. And it's simply this, to tell you that I am absolutely convinced and convicted, deeply convicted, that there's a desperate need within the body of Christ to understand a fundamental Christian truth that in my estimation, traveling and speaking and being in ministry all these many years has been something that has largely been missing in a lot of people's understanding of what the Christian life is really meant to be, what the Christian life actually is. And it comes down to a simple idea that many of you that have heard me speak have heard me say it before, but I've actually found sometimes it takes people five or six times to hear it before they start to hear it. That there are two paradigms of Christian living. Paradigm number one is that Jesus died for me. He did his part. Now it's my part. I'm to go and live for him. He completed his work on the cross. He shed his blood. He became the propitiating sacrifice. He bore and redeemed me from the penalty and from the problem and power of sin that he has done his work on the cross. He's completed his work. And as a result of him having done his work, his labor, he cried out on the cross, it is finished. And obviously that meant that his part was done. And at that moment then our part began. So Jesus died for me. And now my part is for me to live my life for him. And I can tell you that from my experiences, being a pastor and being a Christian, being a Christian leader, both in the United States and globally around the world, this is the predominant paradigm out of which most Christians live their life. Jesus did his part, now it's my turn. And so basically, as I frequently say, our view is Jesus said, okay, there's the way, here's the truth, I want you to go live this life. I've given you a new start. I've removed the barrier, the handwriting of ordinances, which was against you, which was contrary to you. I've taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross in my own body. Now that barrier's removed. I've given you a new start, a new report card. You have a brand new beginning. Now do better and work harder this time. And now you're not under the law anymore, but what you are under is you're under the example of Jesus. After all, he came to the earth. He lived his life in perfect obedience to the Father. And so I want to encourage you to get a bracelet and put it on, and no offense to anybody who might have one. What would Jesus do? And let's go off into our Christian life with this great appreciation for the wondrous work that Christ has done for us and with this great feeling of responsibility for us now to go and live our life for Christ in light of what he has done for us. How can we do anything but that? And so we set off into our Christian life with this charge in our heart that the call of God in my life is for me to live my life for Jesus. So I want to begin calculating what does that look like? How do I do that? What steps must I take? What actions are involved? What can I do that can honor the extraordinary sacrifice of what Jesus did for me, the incredible gift and opportunity that he's given to me, the extraordinary capacity that he's bestowed upon me to now have the wondrous opportunity to start again and do better? And so many Christians labor their entire Christian life under that paradigm of Christianity, but I want to say something to you that I will tell you if you hear it, when you hear it, however many times you hear it before you hear it, 
will fundamentally change your whole view of your Christian life. Because I don't believe that Christ has made any provision whatsoever for you to live your life for him. The only provision that Christ has really made is that he would live his life through you. That's why the Bible says, for example, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, Paul the Apostle speaking. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith, not in me and what I can do for him. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, in him and what he can do through me. That's why in one place, Paul the Apostle said, I will not dare to speak of anything that Christ did not do through me among the Gentiles in signs and wonders and miracles. That's why the Bible says in Colossians 1.27, Christ in me is the hope of glory. That's why the scripture consistently points to this idea, what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5. I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, then you'll bear fruit. Then I'm going to cut you back so there'll be more of me and less of you. Then I'm going to cut you back further so there'll be more of me and less of you. And when eventually I've cut you back far enough that you're bearing much fruit and showing yourself to be my disciple. And then he said these profound words, because apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, if my understanding of the Christian life is that Jesus died for me so that I could now go and live for him, then I start my entire Christian life, the entire paradigm of how I get up every morning, how I go about my day, how every action that I take, it's all related to this idea that his part is over, my part has begun. But the truth is that the part that we think of as the end was actually the beginning. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, that if we have been reconciled by his death, that was the part that he was saying is finished, reconciliation. How much more shall we be saved? Not by his death, by his life. You see, reconciliation has to do with the past. Glorification has to do with the ultimate future. But salvation has to do with right now. True salvation is about the power of his life in us, about the power of the life-nourishing sap of the vine of Christ's life in us, flowing through us as a branch to produce the fruit and the nature and the character, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and meekness and self-control, the gifts of the Spirit, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith and miracles and healing, to produce the character and the nature and the strength and the power of Christ through us as we yield to his life, not try and replace his life by the power of harnessing, managing, and putting our flesh to work for him. But learning how to allow Christ to live through us. And really coming to the realization that as Paul frequently taught, we are the true circumcision, the true followers or believers. Those who glory in Christ and who put no confidence in the flesh. Then he goes on to say, though I myself, if we were going to put confidence in flesh, well, I've got a great pedigree for doing that. I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised in the eighth day. I was of the sect of Pharisees. I was strictest a member of my sect. In regards to religious righteousness or ritualistic fulfillment, I was faultless. But he said, I suddenly came to realize 
that the entirety of my life, I had been trying to live my life for God. And in so doing, I was actually operating in complete opposition to God's plan and purpose. So much so that I was putting to death the followers of the Messiah, the Son of God, the incarnate God in human flesh, Son of the living God. I was fighting him, thinking I was living my life for him. You know, the Bible says the flesh and the spirit are not complementary. It says they are in opposition to one another. They're not something that can be reconciled. They can only, the flesh can only be superseded by a greater power. For me to think Jesus did his part, died on the cross, ascended to heaven, sat down on the throne, his part is done, and now I'm going to go in the power of my strength and the power of my will in gratitude for what Christ did, and I'm going to devote myself to living my life for Jesus. There's only one way I can live my life for Jesus because I only have one source to live my life out of, and that's the flesh. And if I live my life out of the flesh trying to harness my intellect, my emotions, my will, my desires, my passions, my interests, my capacities, and I'm going to harness that and put it to work for Jesus, I'm going against what the scripture actually teaches, which is that the flesh cannot glory in the presence of the Lord. The flesh in and of itself can only be superseded by the power of a greater life than mine. And that's why Paul the Apostle came to understand that it's only by the power of the life of Christ in him that he could overcome. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 7, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing. That's why I said over and over again, I keep repeating the same patterns. I keep doing the same things. I know exactly what is right. I know what I should be doing. I know what ought to be going on in my life. I know how I should be living my life for God. But he said, I find that there is this problem that when I want to do right, evil is right there with me. And he says, finally, in Romans chapter 7, he ends at the very end of the chapter saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And within his question is the answer. He doesn't say, what must I do to be delivered from this body of death? He doesn't say, where can I go to be delivered from this body of death? He doesn't say, what body of knowledge do I need to acquire so that I can be delivered from this body of death? He says, who can rescue me from this condition of knowing what is right, but not finding, as Paul said in his own words, the power to perform it? And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Praise God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. He goes on to say, for the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is what sets me free from the law of sin and death, which is in my members. It's not me harnessing and trying to live my life for Christ. It's me learning how to yield, surrender, capitulate, relinquish control of my life to his life. It's his life and his life alone that can produce this thing called the Christian life. It's not something you can create, not something you can manufacture, not something you can come up with, not something you can determine to do, not something you can urge yourself onto, not something you can rededicate and recommit yourself to over and over again and make it a reality. There's only one person in all of human history who has ever successfully lived the Christian life. His name is Jesus. And he is living inside of you. And he is not there to watch you 
try and live your life for him. As a matter of fact, this was not God's secondary plan. This was God's first plan from the very beginning. Man was created to be the container of his life. Man was created spirit, soul, body. Pneuma, spirit, soul, suke, body, soma. But there was one thing man didn't have. He didn't have zoe, eternal life. He had a spirit, he had a soul, he had a body. But he did not have yet the life of God's own eternal life, nature, and character living inside of him. But he was prepared, created to be the container of that life. But man chose to capitulate. He chose to turn away from the tree of life and chose the tree of knowledge of good and evil instead. And in so doing, the Bible says, in the day that he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you surely die. He didn't say you will eventually die. He says, on the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. On that day, man died. How did he die? He didn't die intellectually. He didn't die emotionally. He didn't die volitionally. He didn't die physiologically. He died spiritually. And as a result, he was like a lamp with a light bulb that had burned out. The bulb was there, but it was no longer able to contain anything. And so man's cast out in the garden with a brilliant intellect created by God, with an extraordinary will of determination, with a a, a full array of emotions, with physiological passions and appetites and desires, but minus the most important aspect, which was his spirit. He was created to be spiritually alive so that life could be placed inside of him, eternal life. Zoe, the Greek word zoe, it's the life that God himself possesses. It's not bios, the word we get biological life from. It's not suke, which means a lifestyle or a choice or an approach to life. It's zoe, the life that only God possesses. When Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I am come that you might have life. Think about what he said. I came so that you might have life. Well, didn't I have life? I thought I already had life. Well, apparently, whatever it was that we were calling life wasn't what God calls life. In God's eyes, the Bible says that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. You see, Ephesians 4.18 says we were alienated from the life of God. We had an intellect. We had emotions. We had will. We had appetites. We had passions. We had desires. But what we did not have was eternal life, the life that God himself possesses. And that life is not something that he can ever bestow upon us like wrapping it up in a package and handing it to us. The only way for a person who has never had eternal life to have eternal life is they've got to be plugged into that life itself. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 11 that we, though we were born as a wild olive branch against our nature, we were We were grafted into a cultivated olive branch, and we now share in the life-nourishing sap of the vine. We who were born of Adam were taken out of Adam, broken out of Adam, grafted into Christ so that now the life-nourishing sap of his life could pass up into our life. And the result is when Jesus came, he didn't say, I've come to give you a religion. I've come to give you a book. I've come to give you a new, more intelligent understanding of the Ten Commandments. I've come to leave an example behind for you to follow. He said, I've come to give you life, zoe, 
a life you do not possess that no human being has ever known. I'm the only one who has it. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 5, 11, and 12, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's why the Bible says in John chapter 1 that in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus didn't come to found a religion. He didn't come to just give us a a greater example of what it meant to be a Christian. No, from the very beginning, it was God's intent that human beings would be the place in which his spirit would dwell and his life would be expressed, that each one of us would be a one of a kind, never to be recreated, masterpiece of his extraordinary capacity, and every one of us would become an instrument of his life. By the way, he's never made one like you, an instrument like you, and he's never going to make another one in all of human history. You're the only one like you there's ever going to be. And it is in you that he wants to place his life and then to express his nature, his character through you. He's not surprised that you can't do this. If there's any surprise in the heart of God, it's that we keep thinking we can What would Jesus do? I really want to say, what difference does it make? Because you can't do. Whatever it is, he would do. You can't do it. Let me give you a simple illustration I'll draw to a close. Here's an apple. If I were to give you a task and I were to put a condition on it, and the task is I want you to replicate this apple, And here's my condition. You can't use anything in the apple to replicate it. That's really not that difficult a condition to put on the task because a replication is a copy. So there's a lot of different ways I could replicate this apple. So for example, I could could say, I don't want to put a lot of time and energy to this, so I'm going to go to the Xerox machine and I'm just going to make a copy. There, I replicated it. Or I could say, well, you know, I'm going to put a little more effort to, I'll go to a color copier and I'll put it on, zoom, zoom. You know, or I could say, well, I'm going to take a picture of it with my phone. I've replicated it. Or there's a lot of things I could do. For example, I could actually go into a 3D model on the computer. Or I could decide I'm going to do something further than that. I'm going to, I'm going to actually model this out in clay. Or I'm going to even make it into wax and paint it perfectly and put a sheen on it to where you can put the two side by side and they look almost identical. It really doesn't matter. It's really up to me. If replication is the goal, it's up to me to choose how I do it and to what extent I involve myself in the process and how much price I'm willing to pay to do it. So if I'm going to replicate this apple, that's really all on me. The apple can't help me. But what if I were to give you a second charge and a second condition, and the second charge is instead of replicating this apple, I want you to reproduce it. But the charge I'm going to give you is the same. You still cannot use anything in this apple to help you do it. I want you to reproduce this apple, not replicate it, not make a copy of it. All of a sudden, I've put upon you a condition that makes the task not difficult, impossible. You cannot reproduce life. You can replicate it. You cannot reproduce it without the full 100% 
active involvement of the life itself. And in fact, you really can't contribute to the process of reproduction except to provide that life a place to do what it does. So many Christians are spending their life trying to replicate the life of Christ. I'm not saying this is a judgment. I'm just saying it is an analysis of a concerned heart who loves what Christ has done for us but is greatly concerned that so many don't know that what he did for us was for him to qualify us for him then to do something in us that we could never do. He doesn't want our replications. He's not interested in us trying to act like him. He doesn't want us to study his word, see how he lived, and then go out with the determination of our will to try and be as much like him as we can. Why would he want to do that when in the end there's one thing and one thing alone that we can do if we're trying to live our life for him, and that is to replicate, to make a copy. Can I tell you one thing about the commonality of a black and white, a color, a photograph, a 3D rendering, a clay, a wax model of this apple, they all have one thing in common. They're dead. They may be impressive. You know, my grandparents, you've heard me say this before, my grandparents had wax fruit in their home, you know, and it was impressive from a distance. Got a little dusty sometimes. You know, you had to dust it off, but it looked good from a distance. Just don't get too close to it. Don't bite into it. And if you take that apple, try and find some seeds in it to plant, if there are any in there, they're just painted. There's no life in them. If we devote ourselves to trying to replicate the life of Christ, we've devoted ourselves to something that Jesus cannot help us do. That's all on you. If you're going to live your life for Jesus, he's made no provision for that. As a matter of fact, I think this personally, I think the main thing he does from the day we get saved until the day we start to understand what I'm talking about is try and get us to the end of our belief that we can do it. He does it through failure. He does it through futility. He lets lets us try harder. When my little girls were little, I remember I had a little box, you know, and it it had little sliding panels on it, and it would only open if you slid the panels in the right direction, the right order, you know. And one of my little girls, she watched me do it one time, and I remember her being so enamored of it, and she said, give it to me, Daddy, I want to do it. You know, she started in, and I knew she didn't know how to do it. So I would say, well, honey, let me just show you. No, 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 no. I can do it. I can do it. Okay, baby, you, you go for it. And she'd slide, slide, slide. More and more frustration. You know, she's got more and more. Let me help. No. And finally, it got to a point where, you know, she was just so frustrated. Thing. She was ready to throw it against the wall. And I'll never forget, she looked at it. She looked at me and she said, show me daddy. I think as believers, there has to come a point in our life We're after a lifetime of trying to replicate 
this and everything we do comes up in the end inanimate. We finally go to the Lord and we say, Lord, show me. Show me, Jesus. And instead of us trying to live our life for Christ, we say, Jesus, let me get out of your way and let this extraordinary thing called eternal life that you've placed within me by virtue of your own presence in me. Lord, somehow let me get into a position where I host your life in me in such a way that the Adam, the the dust of my humanity becomes filled with the wind of your life. And instead of me trying harder to live my life for you, I quit sooner. And I become like the Apostle Paul who said, you know, I asked the Lord to take this problem away from me three times. Lord, I can't handle this. Lord, I can't handle this. Lord, I can't handle this. Take this away from me. Take this away from me. Take this away from me. And I kept thinking what the Lord would do is he would say, okay, I'm sorry. I I know you can't handle this. Let me take this away from you. Give you something you can handle. He said, it's not what Jesus did in Paul's life. He didn't take the difficulty away And he also didn't do something else. He didn't say, Paul, let me make you stronger so you can handle this for me. What he said is, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. I don't need you to be stronger, Paul, and I don't want to take the challenges away from you. I want you to get out of my way entirely. Because when you get to the end of you trying to reproduce me, you're at the beginning of me reproducing myself through you. And the longer it takes you to get to that point, the longer you are going to be seeing inanimate works that carry no dynamic and no life. Wonderful, maybe beautiful, maybe extraordinary, maybe artistically magnificent replications but you know what I've discovered about life in Christ a cup of cold water that he gives to someone through me has more eternal outcome than a kingdom I would build for him because the kingdom carries the same dynamic as the Xerox copy It doesn't carry his life. But the cup of cold water, when it's his life doing the work through me, is transformative and reverberates through all of eternity. You know, we've adopted a significance model that fits the significance model of the world. Bigger is better. Always. Always better. But is it? When Jesus, the Son of God, was on planet Earth... 30 years of silence, no activity whatsoever. Three years of activity, and I know at least on one occasion, he spent an entire day to meet one woman at a well. And I'm talking about her today, 2,000 years later. Will they be talking about what you do 2,000 years from now? If he's the one doing the work, they will be if he tarries. If I'm doing the work, 
it may not outlast the week, no matter how big I think it is. You see, in the end, when you shift paradigms from me living my life for Jesus to me learning how to cooperate with Christ living his life through me, the entire approach I have to the Christian life changes. Instead of me saying, thank you for what you did, Lord Jesus, I'm so astounded. High King of heaven, you did it all. Now I'm going to go and live my life in honor of what you've done. Now what can I do for him today? But if my paradigm is he died for me so that he could live through me, so that I would qualify again, so I'd be made holy to the extent that the reconciliation is completed and now I'm perfectly accepted in the beloved and now he can qualify to come and live inside of me and the old stony heart, Ezekiel 36, 26, which was in me, he takes it out of the way and he gives me a new heart and a new spirit and then places his spirit within me in order to cause me to walk in his statutes and to keep his ordinances. Now instead of me trying to do it for him, I'm saying, Jesus, what do you want to do through me today? Lord, my agenda, I lay it down. I may think I'm going to the grocery store, but there may be a divine encounter waiting for me there. Lord, I'm at a place in my life where I have seen all of my replications. And I'm going to tell you, man, I was a good replicator. You could put his life and my life side by side on some occasions in rare moments, and they almost look the same but they weren't. Today I have one goal in my Christian life, one goal only. Jesus, help me stay out of your way today. I don't want to live my life for you. Been there, done that. Jesus, would you live your life through me? Because what I don't know, you do know. What I can't do, you can do. What I cannot perform by the power of knowledge of good and evil, you can perform by the power of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Lord, will you let the glory of your life be expressed through me as I learn more and more, as Paul the Apostle did, that your strength is not hindered by my weakness. Your strength is perfected in my weakness. You're not asking me to try harder to act like you. You're asking me to relinquish control sooner to allowing you to act through me. Today I say, Lord, I can't do this, but you can. I don't know the answer, but you do. Lord, I have no capacity here, but you do. I want to relinquish control And thank you for what you can do through me that I could never in a billion years do for you. In the same way you did for me on the cross, something I could never have done for myself, you can do something through me by your life that I could never, ever, ever, ever do for you. If I never see you again in this life, that's the only thing I would want you to know and understand is the good news is so much better than you thought. And grace is so much more generous than you knew. He's not surprised by your inability. I wonder if we could stand together for just a moment and as the singers are coming. 
You know, I often tell people, and I've told you guys this before, those that have heard me speak here before, that I sometimes talk so fast that your brain can't keep up with what I'm saying. And the truth is, that's intentional. Because your brain is a part of the outer man. But what I'm talking to you about is spiritual truth. I'm trying to speak directly to your spirit. There may be somebody here today that has never really understood the need for a spiritual regeneration. For you, the church has just become kind of a philosophy of life, just kind of an approach to living, kind of like joining the Rotary Club or, you know, being with good people doing good things. But it's so much more than that. If you are in that position today, it's not between me and you. It's between you and the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, he is leaning over the, the balconies of heaven, yearning. The angels are leaning over the balcony, yearning to see one person open their heart to the new birth of the Spirit. But if you've been a Christian for a long time, but perhaps it's possible not because of any fault on anyone's part, but just because maybe it's just not been the right time. You've been working hard, replicating, trying to act like Jesus because you thought that was the proposition. I want to present a different proposition to you. What if you were very creation was tied to you becoming a vessel of his life, a temple of his spirit. Maybe that's what Paul was talking about in Corinthians 4 when he said, for this treasure has been placed in an earthen vessel so that the excellency of the power would be of God and not of us. Lord, take what you've spoken into our hearts and let it be living. Let it well outlive this sermon. Let the seeds of your living presence begin to operate in our spirit in a way that brings about transformation, I pray.